difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here again with Genevieve Kosky, Scott Tobias, and Keith Phipps. On last week's episode, we talked about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Robert Zemeckis' groundbreaking hybrid live action and animation feature. Roger Rabbit was a smash success in 1988. It made more than $300 million internationally, and in America, it was the year's top earner, easily dominating films like Coming to America, Big, Die Hard, and Beetlejuice. And yet, even in an industry that usually leaps to copycat any success, there's never been a sequel, and there have hardly even been attempts at the same kind of hybrid world genre. Leaving aside the occasional flop like Ralph Bakshi's Cool World in 1992, the cinematic coattail riders of the world have been shockingly lax on trying to churn out another Roger Rabbit. Disney itself played around with some sequel ideas that came to nothing, and experimented with a new CG version of the Roger Rabbit character in trials that proved so dispiriting that the company shelved the project entirely. These days, in 2022, CG characters in live-action films are common enough that it doesn't seem like there would be any technological barrier to making an updated Roger Rabbit. But Bob Hoskins always said he didn't think a sequel would work, and not long after 1988, he began pointing out that he just didn't have the physicality for the role anymore. His death in 2014 guaranteed that a full reunion would never be possible. Robert Zemeckis has made it clear that he's moved on and is not interested in making a sequel for the CG age, and Disney itself has similarly moved on and overtly is not interested in making something as dark, weird, and sexual as the first movie was. But the company did find a different way of taking on the Roger Rabbit idea, with a completely different movie built around the same idea. In the new movie Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, live-action characters interact with animated characters, including the titular Chipmunks, a pair of -of out-of-work actors who haven't had a hit since the 1989 heyday of their Rescue Rangers series. When one of their old co-workers goes missing, they join forces with a human cop to solve the mystery, delving into an L.A. packed with animated cameos. We'll join them on their journey after this break. Hollywood story. Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the show that defined a generation and turned two unknown chipmunks into international superstars. But as success took Chippendale to new heights, to many more seasons of the Rescue Rangers, we were living the dream, dancing the Roger Rabbit with Roger Rabbit. (laughs) No one ever imagined. It could all come crashing down. Torn by vanity. You look different. Hey, it's no secret I had the CGI surgery done. Consumed by temptation. My love of cheese got the best of me. I just love it so much. More, please. More, please. Is it possible that two living legends are destined to reunite? I'm thinking reboot. Nobody wants a reboot. Okay, so Chippendale Rescue Rangers, very, very derivative. But is it derivative in a fun way? Is it derivative in a way that forges its own path? What did you all make of this movie? I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I, I will say, but the first, the first thing that my daughter said after we saw it is like, she's like, it's not as good as Roger Rabbit. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> Roger Rabbit's kind of, kind of one of the all time ones. Uh, t- all, you know, it's an all timer. And I thought this was 
clearly tipped its hat to being a Roger Rabbit homage in in, in many ways. But uh, you know, I'm I'm on. I, I have the people who make this movie the the various your your Mulaney and, and Lonely Island types. I I feel like I'm on on their wavelength. I appreciate their humor, and it it really kind of matched the the attitude they wanted for for this film, which was irreverent but also very fond of animation and the various strange twists it's taken over the last few decades. And, and that's like, it definitely has over the, you know, what one thing that really sets apart from Roger Rabbit is it is a commentary on, on some very recent developments in animation versus a reflection on animation's golden age. I, I think one crucial difference here, I think is tied to what the lonely Island does in general, which is to take sort of the junk, you know, to take the flotsam and jetsam of our, of, of, of our culture and comment on it. And, and do, I mean, there's, there, this is not a movie with Bugs Bunny and Donald Duck. This is a movie with ugly Sonic. And this is a movie with, <laughs> you know, with MC scat cat, you know, I mean, like these are the sorts of references that are being made. And, and, uh, and so it, it kind of, deliberately moves into a different kind of realm to its benefit. I mean, I, I think the film, the film is just clever enough to where you, you wish it were just a little bit smarter all of the time that it weren't quite as hectic as it ends up getting when it has to kind of get through, you know, the plotty elements, but it's got a lot of fun stuff in it. I, I you know, and, and, and conceptually it's quite sound. I think it's worth noting here that the director, mm. Akiva Schaefer, is a member of Lonely Island, and Andy Samberg, another member, is voicing one of the chipmunks. But this isn't actually a Lonely Island project. Right. Thank you. Uh, it was written by a couple of guys who worked on How I Met Your Mother, and uh, I would not be surprised if they met there. Um, and one of them is married to Rachel Bloom, Dan Greger, and he was also a writer on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I think you can, if you are a fan of that show, you can maybe trace a little DNA here as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the the banter and like some of the really clever constructs, especially in the early going on How I Met Your Mother. I've enjoyed. I still haven't finished Crazy Ex Girlfriend, but I, I enjoyed that show and its humor a lot. Like these are not bad writing credits, but Lonely Island does have a very specific sensibility. And like, if you're going into this movie expecting for it to feel like Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, a title I never get tired of. Seeing, saying in its fullness, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed because this is essentially a Disney project that they they hired out a director for, as opposed to a Lonely Island like written and produced project. But Akiva does get a, a little cameo at one point and actually a, a moment that feels like a, a direct Roger Rabbit callback oh, when, yeah, we, uh, when, we, when, we're from, when we're seeing the original uh, Chippendale cartoon being made and then we pull out and Akiva is the director. But as as for what I thought of this movie, I I mean I am I could not be more in its target audience. I I did watch <laughs> the Disney Afternoon series. I watched all of those, Tailspin, Ducktales. I you know, I, these these are this is my childhood here. So, to the extent that there would be a target audience for a Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, I I I am it. But I also think that this movie is in no way catering to that imaginary target audience like i don't think you need to have any real knowledge or affinity of the the cartoon or the characters to catch on to what this film is is doing you know so i i respect it for that i do think the first act of this film is far more satisfying <laughs> than than the rest as, as yeah. scott said like when it gets into the the plottier elements it's like that cleverness is still there but i think like 
the first act is kind of like unfurling this world and these characters and these relationships like that's really satisfying because you're like you're seeing that cleverness all, all, all click in and then having it stretch out for another hour is like it's well done it's well executed i i liked it but it doesn't kind of have that that hit of you know like oh this is really satisfying that that first act does I love the occasional reminder of like the half generation gap between you and the rest of us. <laughs> I was in college when those things were, <laughs> were on I, I, you, you guys are all Gen Xers, right? I'm, I'm, I'm holding it down for the millennials. Yeah, right? we're, so. we're, we're, we are different generations. You're, like, you're a geriatric millennial. I, I, I guess yeah, yeah, we're, very geriatric millennial. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like that the, um, I, I think it's part of the joke of the film though, that this is even, a project, right? That I mean, this is yeah. not the most. This is not Ducktales. Even this is this is something that that this was a show that that got three seasons, kind of in a year and a half, but sixty some episodes and a theme song that was a direct ripoff of the Ducktales theme song. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so, so it's not the most. It's not the most beloved thing, which I think is again makes it ideal for what is being attempted here it becomes an element of the these characters it kind of kind of makes chip and dale resonate as as characters as as kind of not not even has-beens almost never was is right uh they barely get remembered there you know you've got uh, dale is still making appearances at conventions you know maybe some some lightly traveled booths in his uh in his, in his sad cg uh, cg form and, and Chip he also is, seems is to be doing completely. guest spots in a male review in one scene that is never addressed again. <laughs> I think it's supposed anyway. to be Chippendales. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, and of course that that the joke is made right away about like, what do you think of when you think of Chippendales? And it's like, it's like <laughs> the it's cabinet the third, maker. It's the third thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, all that's very clever, and, it, and it's all worked into the film. Well, I mean, yeah, that's there's a- definitely a, a playfulness in that opening that is just like lacking from the rest of the movie. It's not that the rest of the movie is like dire or heavy, but it's definitely less experimental and, and like less light uh, and e- even less meta, I would say. Yeah, I, th- I just think it, overall it could have just used a little bit more time or just like it feels like a slightly somewhat half invested like if like if like like it's got it's so conceptually sound i think the casting of uh, the pairing of Mulaney and sandberg is is terrific um they have they have just an instant chemistry together they're they're right for those roles you know everything about it is you know and i think the idea of of making the mystery basically the type of mystery that you would see on the show that's also kind of a clever touch i mean like like all of these things you know the 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 architecture of this movie is so sound that you just you kind of you know wish it were somewhat better than it is even though you know it's fine it's good that was effectively my response as well this is fine i mean i think that there's a, a good solid gag in the fact that like chip and dale are kind of like heckle and jekyll you know they're just a sort of like part of the background cultural detritus that we've perhaps all run across but like i didn't watch rescue rangers i was the wrong age for it as well and i don't know that you'd find many people out there who feel like chippendale specifically are like you know mickey mouse and donald duck to them who are like 
really core to their their understanding of culture or, or characters that oh, they really oh, love and oh god i wish i could show you guys the picture of me at like four years old at disney world at a character breakfast sandwiched between chip and dale just <laughs> smiling <laughs> ear to ear <laughs> that's crazy because i i was actually going to bring up like nobody running to hug them at disney world <laughs> but were you sandwiched between chip and dale because they were the characters no, this available? Is pre, this is pre, well this was also pre-rescue rangers so this was like the uh oh sure, sure. sure i seem to recall encountering them at a, at a theme restaurant in disney when we were there maybe i feel like there was some rotating restaurant where the food is horrific but but but, but chip and dale's were, were, chip and dale were were, were were a big part of it maybe, maybe i'm hallucinating in the whole thing how big a part of your childhood genevieve was the character monterey jack <laughs> uh big enough that i remembered he was called monterey jack but did not remember that he apparently spoke with an Australian accent. <laughs> so <laughs> I was he okay. tra- he's charming. I, I like, I like, I think the, those two elements is all, all you really need for a character, a character who mm-hmm. has the Australian accent and really likes cheese. But with all that in mind, Genevieve. Okay. So one of my, one of my actual disappointments with this movie, like we're, we're going to have to go into spoiler territory before too long, uh, because the secret big villain of the movie is maybe one of its bigger nods to the kind of thing that Roger Rabbit does all the time, starting very early and then, then doing consistently throughout. Like it's a, it's a bigger character than most, but I spent a fair amount of uh, Chippendale looking at some of these characters that like they're the backgrounds are packed with them there's practically no exterior scene or convention scene that doesn't have just like half a dozen characters lingering in it and for every moment where i said like oh there's cg dobby from the harry potter movies in a in a gucci ad modeling a suit in the background there would be like a dozen characters that I would just be like, I have no idea who that is. Did you feel like you had a high recognition like index for this movie? Did you keep saying like, oh, there's so-and-so from the 90s or whatever? I mean, not really. I don't think any that wouldn't be obvious to to you as well. Yeah, I, I don't know like if this is a like a Ready Player One scenario where like every background character is someone or I, I, I do think there might just be some like character design, like familiar looking character designs, bootlegs, if you will, <laughs> that are that are not actual licensed characters. But I can't say say for sure. I haven't done enough research there. I was uh, curious as to how it all came together because I mean, you know, there's you know, there's much talk about how all the negotiations that went into Who Framed Roger Rabbit and how no one but Steven Spielberg could get all those companies to agree to feature all those characters. Like, it seems like people were just kind of in this higgledy piggledy without you know. Uh, I, I'm not sure. You know, does Akiva Schaefer have that much goodwill <laughs> with with uh, so many different companies? It's very odd, especially when you get to that scene of the shrek uh is uh, a toy yeah. be- being melted it's, down? A, it's a body watch body being watch turned being into down. porta potties that's right that's right <laughs> and like it just lovingly lingers on shrek's face melting in a way that felt <laughs> a little contemptuous i don't know it's, it's 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 interesting it isn't that it necessarily that akiva schaefer has the pull because we one of my writers at, at polygon did interview him and ask specifically about some of the stuff and as far as like the appearance of ugly 
Ugly Sonic, who probably most of the people listening to this know about the yeah. the story of Ugly yes. Sonic. Uh, you can easily find it on the internet if you just Google that. But uh, the, the appearance of Ugly Sonic, he, he literally said, I plead the fifth. I, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> and with some of the others, he basically just said, like, the the Disney lawyers like worked overtime on this one. Like basically they just like went out and started negotiating. I am honestly surprised that this movie does not feature more Disney characters, like big Disney characters, and in a way that it doesn't feature more other big characters. Because I would think after Roger Rabbit and especially like in just the age we're in now of like celebrities having come to realize that they can easily become like beloved figures, beloved brands, basically by like making fun of themselves a little bit. I would think that in this day and age, if Disney said, hey, we're making a Roger Rabbit like movie where your character could just be in the background, that companies would be falling over themselves to just like, like, yes, please put our character in this. You know, we want people talking about our character so and so. Please the way people talked face. about the please just melt, melt it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like that so much about the film, though that 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 a lot of those the background characters, those cameos, are are of a less familiar sort or are a little off brand, which is kind of you know fits into the whole bootleg aspect of it anyway. I mean, just the 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 ugly Sonic thing being the most you know prominent uh, among them. I think that's kind of like the the big you know one of the bigger you know comic payoffs of the of the movie is having having that presence in it and kind of as a defining element and it gives that little bit of extra separation from roger rabbit and lets you know that it's dealing with different types of characters dealing with like you know never was is you know of not 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 bugs bunny not the not the not the animated characters who made it uh but the ones who just who who weren't weren't as big of a presence or were a flash in the pan like an mc scott cat <laughs> i i love the fact that they actually got a, a paula abdul to come back and dance with mc scat yeah. cat like that's that's a get and i think as far as like the the recognition factor some of it I, is less about you know specific characters and more about specific types of animated characters uh there's of course jk simmons's detective putty a, a claymation character <laughs> there's keegan michael key as sort of an off-brand muppet type character seth rogan as a sentry dwarf in the uncanny valley is <laughs> sort of a polar express type um yeah. sh- shout out to, to zemeckis uh there um there's even like a sock puppet at one point, which really, really tickled me. So it seems like, you know, in this vision of a, of a cartoon Hollywood, like, obviously, there are specific named cartoons we know, but there's also just a lot of cartoon types around. Yeah, it's another yeah. huge strength of the of, of the movie. Uh, the uncanny, all the Uncanny Valley stuff, like, you know, that killed for me, too. I mean, I, I, you're just, the, just the thing where you just cannot... <laughs> get an eye line going at all <laughs> those characters it just, that, was a, that was clever you know that, that's a maybe a one joke thing but it's a fantastic joke and it, and it kind of like covers that little stretch of animation where it was like we're gonna do these groundbreaking things and have these human-like computer animated uh, beings but they're gonna be screwed up in a huge in a huge way um the technology is not all the way there yet uh, the I fact still... that the uncanny valley is specifically defined as like the 
kind of the ghetto where all of the CG people from the 90s, from like early, early days of CG animation live. But then you have the cats from the, the movie <laughs> Cats, like <laughs> fighting in the fighting over trash like yeah. that. That is some primo shade throw in right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that that's that's and I, the other thing the film does that I like about the film it makes me almost want to see it again my kids haven't watched it yet so maybe i will see it again it's just all some of the background stuff but like the like the the titles of some of the bootlegs and and uh, the, the one i like the, the one i like the most is the lady and the tramp r- rip off uh, spaghetti <laughs> yeah. spaghetti, spaghetti dogs, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's one of the little mermaid that i think is called something like the small fish girl yeah yeah or the small fish woman maybe yeah <laughs> To return real quick to something we were talking about before, you know, in terms of just like getting this made and the licensing and Disney's uh, lawyers working overtime and, and whatnot. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Dan Greger, one of the co-writers, is the husband of Rachel Bloom, who I follow on Instagram. So she has been posting about this this movie, and she's posted a couple times where she notes that uh, they wrote this script seven years ago, and. Mm. And uh, she said, uh, when I read it seven years ago, I had two thoughts. One, this is the funniest script I've ever read. Two, I mean, there's no way they're going to make this, right? <laughs> so, like, this this does seem to be, at, at some level, like, a passion project for these two writers who, I guess, were, were lucky enough to, to get hooked up with with a director and a production company, uh, Disney, that, that had the, the juice to see their vision through. But I'm, I'd be really, really curious to see what that initial script looks like in relation to to what we get on the page in terms of the reference points it's wild that they wouldn't yeah. be commissioned specifically to do this because like what if you do a yeah. chippendale rescue rangers movie like disney kind of has to be on board with that or else you're, there's no movie it doesn't exist it's almost like when uh charlie coffin wrote being john malkovich it's like you know you kind of really need him to be in the in the movie you know i mean that's that's a really specific thing it's right there's a title (laughs) yes i mean in theory like and you know uh jones and uh, kaufman have discussed this like they could have they could have been a different celebrity it was written for him and they wanted it for him and i think in the same sort of way you could have found there's other you know characters duo characters who could have been subbed in here i don't know that there's a ton about this that feels all that specific to chip and dale i you get a lot of kind of fun sight gags like about the fact that they live in chipmunk sized houses <laughs> oh my god like, chip's dog human. i love <laughs> chip's <laughs> dog so much chip has a dog it's not a chipmunk sized dog it's not an animated dog it's it's just a real dog well it is a cg dog but it is theoretically at least a real dog-sized dog that just like lives in his house and takes up most of his house it's a good gag but yeah there's there's not a whole lot here that feels like specific to kind of deconstructing rescue rangers or you know anything like that it's not it's not that kind of story it's just kind of the sense that you're that they solve mysteries is a mystery right i suppose but i mean it could have been (laughs) I almost said it could have been like it's any cartoon the, duo. The that, case of the missing whatever. The case of the missing <laughs> uh, Monterey Jack. Yeah. Working could have title. Been, uh, could have been Scooby and Shaggy. Sure. Could have been any of the Hanna-Barbera characters that solved mysteries. But uh, you wouldn't get the the cute chipmunk effect of them uh, roaming around being tiny in a, a much larger world. Mm, there are no Hanna-Barbera characters here. There are. They're conspicuous by their absence. Well, mm. There are a lot of uh, characters that are not here in general. I don't know. Were there Hanna-Barbera characters in Roger Rabbit? 
They were the, post Roger Rabbit, though. They would they would have been after the era. Yeah, was was it Droopy Dog? The the elevator is that a, a Hanna Barbera? MGM. MGM. Okay. Yeah. That's true. It would have been uh, after the fact, but the we we don't necessarily. Where do baby tunes come from, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for all we know, the Hanna Barbera characters were just like hanging around uh, disconsolately in Toontown, awaiting their day back in the forties. Well, Who before knows? we get angry letters, Hanna Barbera had you know there was some overlap, but you know Tom and Jerry was nineteen forty, but you know so all right. Well, anyway. <laughs> but there are no you know, none, none, none of the, the Scooby Doo era. You know, there, there's no. I don't know who's the shark that played drums. He's he, he's not in there. <laughs> um, Jabberjaw, Jabberjaw, Jabberjaw. everybody's favorite cartoon shark of all time. I, I never really thought about Who Framed Roger Rabbit limiting itself to characters who would have been available at the time of the 40s. Setting. It does That's so. actually a yeah. really interesting thought. But, you know, see, that that feels like all the more reason to have Chippendale Rescue Rangers, like, have just a, a much wider gamut of recognizable cartoons than it necessarily does, at least for me. I like the scale of this thing. You get bigger cartoons in there, but bigger references. I think it kind of loses w- w- the whole, like, conceit. Well, Okie dokie. <laughs> I don't feel strongly about this. I'm not sure I feel strongly about much as vis-a-vis this movie. I am very much in a, yeah, that's fine. That uh, that was entertaining. I'm probably not going to think about it again uh, past a week from now. You know, in the way that, that Roger Rabbit just kind of like lives permanently in my psyche. Uh, th- that's not going to happen here. Well, but Roger Rabbit is... you think about is... Batman versus E.T., though? Come on. That's, that's kind of... <laughs> or, or Mr. Doubtfire. <laughs> Starring Meryl Streep. Mr. Doubtfire did make me laugh. Uh, I, I, I like some of the just the movie industry jokes in the movie, like a lot more than I like. How how passionate are you guys about the shattered relationship between former uh, school friends and TV partners, Chip and Dale, one of whom? So here's here's the thing. It wasn't until after I watched Chip and Dale that I actually looked it up and realized it wasn't a Lonely Island project. Because when I watched it, I thought, oh, well, this is just kind of pop star all over again, isn't it? You know, it's you've got a group that kind of became famous together, but then one of them kind of tried to do a, a big solo project and lost the faith of the others. And then, like, as a result, the uh, original group broke up. Then the um, the one that started the whole thing goes on to, like, less fame and trouble and then kind of has to, like, loop back and, and find the old partners and, and hook things up again. I'm like, oh, is this just something Lonely Island are really obsessed with? Like, are they really concerned about this happening to them or did it come close to happening to them? And it wasn't until I realized that, you know, Lonely Island didn't write this project that I realized they weren't repeating themselves. <laughs> but it, it is kind of the pop star story. Like, are you are you invested in these two chipmunks, like mending their friendship? <laughs> yes. Are you invested in these yes, two I'm chipmunks? Yes, in, I'm invested in these chipmunks. <laughs> well, because I, th- I, I, I think the chemistry between uh, mm-hmm. Mulaney and Sandberg is really good. And uh, one of the strong stronger elements of, of of the movie so in that in that sense i felt invested because i i did like the two of them sort of pinging off each other they're well cast and the characters are kind of well well conceived around their particular talents and i think it was smart to kind of give 
Dale some insecurities about being the 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 dumb one or the you know the pratfall guy whatever you know um and and that andy samberg being that character and john mulaney being more like the 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 brains of the operation i think that dynamic came through in the voice work in a way that like enriched the sort of the tension between these two characters that that made the (laughs) it a little easier to get invested in 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 these this chipmunk friendship i don't know that i was as invested as as scott (laughs) i was on the edge of my uh work chair well yeah i mean it is i it does seem a little significant that one of them is designed with effectively like a big red nose and and buck teeth mm-hmm. and is like she wore the, the hawaiian shirt in the in the I cartoon love the hawaiian shirt, shirt, yeah. <laughs> like visually according to the extremely stereotype driven language of cartoons like he's the laid back one and the dumb one and the the, the other one is the like the smart sharp driven one and i could easily see there being more even about the fact that these are like cartoons like they're i'm not dumb i was i was just drawn that way effectively (laughs) like what is your what does your design mean about your personality could maybe be a bigger theme here especially in a world where like this doesn't come up in roger rabbit but this this is a world where you can just have tune surgery and look completely different I thought one of the better gags in the film was the fact that Dale effectively has facelift surgery. You know, he he effectively does the Hollywood uh, vanity thing and gets himself a a facelift, except that facelift is to CG animation because it's kind of the wave of the future. So you have these two chipmunks that used to be animated exactly alike, and now they look very different because one of them is the modern version of themselves. I, I think that that's kind of a great both conceptual and visual gag and maybe one of the only things in this movie that hits roger rabbit levels of of layers for me Uh, yeah no i think i i I agree with you completely on on, on that that is uh um, definitely a, a, connect, a connection that I might have made <laughs> between those two films is that is uh, is is just though that ability to comment on uh, different you know eras of an- animation and, and, to, and to believe that needing CG surgery is going to be what makes you r- relevant. Um, it worked for Baloo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that that's just sort of turned into like a, a historical event rather than a, a character beat, I think is again also pretty, pretty funny, pretty layered, pretty textured. But as uh, Scott says, that's a, one of many connections between these two movies. There's, there's a ton more that we can say about Chippendale Rescue Rangers, but I think an awful lot of it is going to come up in our conversation about what that movie and Roger Rabbit have to say to each other as two movies doing very similar things at very different times. So we'll be back in a minute to uh, bring up connections and discuss uh, how these two movies work together. So, what's been up with you? Oh, you know, this, that, other vague things to fill the space of this conversation. Okay, well, you look the same. Yeah, thanks. And you look different. Ah, hey, it's no secret I had the CGI surgery done, and it's done wonders rejuvenating my career. I'm actually starring in a play tonight. 
But man, I tell you, the real hot ticket is Rescue Rangers. There's even some buzz about a reboot. Someone started a Facebook fan page for it and everything. Crikey, a Facebook fan page? I don't just give those away. Oh, he's full of it, Monty. No one's talking about a Rescue Rangers reboot except for him. What? The fans are hungry for it. Look, I came here to help Monty, not get caught up in some Hollywood nonsense. So, great to take this skip down memory lane, but I've got to go. Monty, if you're really in trouble, you know how to find me. Dale, you were also here. So now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about the things that they have in common. Before we get into anything else, like, we have to touch on this. This is the same world, right? Like, Roger Rabbit is actually a character who shows up here. This is just like the modern day version of of the Roger Rabbit world, right? Yeah, and also there's dip. Did you did you did you see the dip? Oh, I think I've already forgotten the dip. Where did that come? It up? was uh, it was in the the surgical center where where characters are turned into bootleg versions of themselves, and there's like a scan over a bunch of like different surgical implements, and there's a little vial that says dip in in there. Ooh, <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. I caught so, it. <laughs> so yes, I, I mean I think that we can you can easily assume that this is the the same world, although there is no longer a Toontown. There is a Main Street though that it seems to be operating uh, like visually the same way as Toontown does, uh, but as Dale uh, informs us, is is hiding a very seedy underbelly. So yeah, I don't know. Did did you guys uh, get flashes of Toontown during the Main Street uh, sequence? Yeah, but I like th- I like that uh, they twist it around. So it is it, it is like a sh- a literal not literally but very figuratively shady place. I also just like the idea of it. You know the the idea of Toontown in Roger Rabbit was very much a, a nod to that era's segregation, and the idea that there wouldn't be like overt segregation to the point where you could point to oh, that's where all those types of people live. Uh, but there's still kind of an uh, artificial segregation where, like, you know, you know if, you, if you want this kind of thing, you go to this neighborhood, which is mostly where those kinds of people live. Like, it feels very in keeping with, uh, you know, kind of how cloistered neighborhoods work today. I think one thing, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things to compare between the two, but something we did not bring up on the first segment is is you know kind of the main human character because that you know in roger rabbit you know bob hoskins is kind of our the guy that we're following around and you know roger rabbit is a you know smaller character here it's reversed here we have you know chip and dale and then and then the the human is uh way way down the cast list uh is kiki lane as this uh Mm -hmm. lapd officer who's also kind of a fan of rescue rangers and and uh i think that that's kind of one of the film's more glaring weak spots i don't really feel like they give her anything to do and moreover worse yet i guess is that is that the human world doesn't have the kind of impact on the film that it showed it's kind of out of balance in that sense I mean, I think the idea of not being sure whether she's the villain or not, not being sure whether she's playing straight or not, is kind of an important part of the film and a a part that they couldn't pull off if she was central to it, especially as central as Eddie Valiant is. Maybe, but I think she could. She seems a little bit too 
marginal a presence of the film because and more importantly i think is that because she's that marginal presence of the film that the human live actiony part of the film is also minimized so you don't have quite as dynamic an interaction between the live action and the animated uh uh universes she does get a great entry in, into the film, albeit one that also raises some questions about the sort of the logic of this world that I, I feel uh, Roger Rabbit avoided for the most part. But you know, we uh, we meet Kiki Lane, her her sort of her giant face coming into view in a, win- a window of Monterey Jack's <laughs> apartment, uh, oh, where uh-huh. uh, you know, and it, it's it's funny, it's 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 a funny gag, um, and and you know, uh, but it also kind of raises the question of like, so there are like and this comes up again throughout the film that there's like different sizes and scales of this version of the city you know that uh and, and like it's played for for laughs a lot of times like the the different the small versus big dynamic but it does sort of like str- and i can't believe i'm saying this about like this con scene but it does <laughs> like strain credulity uh in terms of like cartoons and humans living side by side in a way that Roger Rabbit like kind of managed to avoid like there wasn't any indication that there's like a whole separate part of Toontown that's like Tweety Bird size you know it's like all the cartoons are operating in the same scale of world I feel like to some degree that's because Chip and Dale just operates with a a stronger sense of like what what reality is like there's not really any sense in Toontown that you know, I, I made the comment about Betty Boop not necessarily needing to eat or like needing to pay rent. I don't know what the rent situations or the rent control situations are like in Toontown. But like if Toons don't need to eat or sleep, then like their needs are pretty limited and they could just like run around the eternal like singing sunshine world of of toontown without the kind of needs that like chip and dale very clearly sit down to meals and like have houses that that have beds because they they have like basic human like needs uh they they just seem to be real much more grounded in a human compatible reality than necessarily the tunes in um in toontown do and uh, kind of in keeping with that like we see one of them like get his ear replaced with another ear but there's not nearly as much of the get smashed by an anvil and, and then pop back up and in part, that's because Chippendale Rescue Rangers is just playing with a completely different era of American animation where the constant smashing and exploding of tunes isn't as much a thing as, you know, they went on adventures. They had stories. They flew an airplane. They they went to places. They fought a cat. But <laughs> there's there's much less like and then we dropped a piano in his head and all his teeth fell out and uh but he was fine like three seconds later there's just there's less of that and it's just again to return to the opening sequence of roger rabbit and what i talked about in the first hat of it sort of establishing the level of like cartoon violence slash mayhem that we're operating in or sort of like the the type of cartoon humor that you know these tunes are dealing in like Disney Afternoon was not doing that kind of humor, you know, like, uh, how many ways can we hurt this character, you know, and I feel that that carries over into how the cartoon humor is utilized here. Like, there's not a lot of 
I guess, like slapstick or, or Raimi-esque humor to bring it back to our, our last episodes. <laughs> it's sort of mean-spirited vibe. You know, it's a little more, I guess, wholesome. But, you know, there's definitely some not wholesome elements of, of the humor here, but it's drawing from a very wholesome type of source material. Yeah, I mean, Disney is not Warner Bros. It's not Looney Tunes. You know, it's never, mm-hmm. it's never kind of been that way tonally or in terms of the, the physical comedy or the pain humor or anything like that. So it has to kind of take a different approach. I mean, there's a, yeah, I mean, and there's a, there's just a kind of a, a lightness and a sweetness and kind of a junkiness to Chippendale that isn't present in Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit is a very substantive film. It's a film of, of great, ambition because you do have this big you know sort of noir element to it and you know and all all this kind of municipal intrigue and and kind of a emerging of really huge characters from different animation traditions it's like it's like really chip and dale rescue rangers is trying to kind of zag away from all that as much as possible and is sort of trying to work with a lot of the flotsam and jetsam trying to work on on more marginal things and, and tr- deliberately working in a smaller more modest way which is which almost is what brings it to this sort of bootleg plot anyway it sort of feeds into that as idea of like okay this is not going to be roger rabbit it's too small and so it's going to be a little bit more like those bootlegs it's going to be something you know a little cheaper you know a little more maybe you know, homemade. So, uh, a little more streaming service size. A little, yes, very much so. <laughs> like, like it's not going to be in theaters. It's going to go right to your, uh, into your Disney account. So, much like this movie did. Right. So, uh, so it, it, it makes sense. So, I said that we were going to necessarily get into spoilers on Chippendale in the first half of this episode, and we never actually did. But I think talking about the two villains of these movies together would be kind of uh, an interesting and instructive thing, because both of them are kind of pretending to be something they're not, but one of them, to some degree, like, he he got over that. He transformed into something completely different, but he didn't really have control over it, and there's maybe a little pathos to that. Sweet, so you if mean you, Sweet Pete? Sweet Pete, who <laughs> I, I initially took to be uh, the, the fat cat that sometimes um, fights Mickey Mouse. But uh, it's completely different, Pete. Spoilers ahead for Chippendale Rescue Rangers if you haven't seen it or if you care. Uh, But the bad guy is animated Disney Peter Pan. He grew up and as soon as he started getting like facial hair into acne, he couldn't. The implication is that he couldn't continue playing Peter Pan, which is sort of a weird thing because like it's not like there were 15 Peter Pan movies. I guess there probably were like direct to VHS sequels. You're, you're, you're thinking too hard like, about this. <laughs> <laughs> Fair well, enough. He, he was no longer suitable for the roles that he was playing, and so he gave up and dropped out and went into a life of crime. So, like, that is, I guess, maybe one of the more subversive elements here of Disney kind of admitting that Disney movies are about this, like, eternal pretty surface and that like the second you slip outside of that you're just not disney material anymore so like he had to go find another life for himself and it was like in this bitter environment of bootlegging like disney characters and disney films and other animation by mutilating actual tunes into hideous versions of themselves and making movies with them that's dark it's maybe not quite as dark as proof framed roger rabbit but it's certainly a lot darker than an awful lot of uh, chippendale rescue rangers is 
this is not the connection which which we can return to but it uh just hearing you talk about it uh, about sweet pete did make me realize tasha that like I don't think this is the same world as Roger Rabbit because tunes don't age in Roger Rabbit, and they do here. Chip, like obviously Sweet Peep age, but also Chip and Dale. Like we meet them in third grade, and they become adults. So this is a apparently a world in which tunes age. I'll- I'm not sure how much to read into that either, <laughs> because like at one point late in the film, we run across one of the original Lost Boys from the Peter Pan movie, the same one that Peter Pan Sweet Pete is from. And that kid hasn't aged at all. He looks at Peter Pan. And he's like, you got old. Well, some tunes <laughs> age and some don't. You know what? Shut it down. Plot holes every, down. everywhere you look. <laughs> I, I, again, I don't think it's worth uh, thinking too through much. But like if we wanted to. I continue to want to believe it's the same world. And if we wanted to justify that, I'd just say tunes change, man. Like every era of animation changes. There weren't CG characters in Roger Rabbit either because that technology hadn't come to to tunes yet. So we don't delve in either of these movies, as I asked Keith earlier, into where tunes come from. But given that there are 90s CG characters who were animated during an era where CG was bad, we can infer that they're being created somehow and by someone, mm-hmm. and then they they take on life. So, well, should, you know, we, uh, should we call uh, Disney Plus technical support and see with these <laughs> complaints and see, and see where that gets us? Uh. What I'm trying to say here is not none of this is to say, oh, these are these are plot holes, and I hope whoever didn't figure that out got fired for that blunder. What I'm saying is, I think both of these movies. Are just reflecting like here is here's how cartoons were thought of in in the 40s and in the same way roger rabbit is a little obsessed with tunes getting bonked on the head and and producing bells or tweeting birdies or stars or whatever in the same sort of way like chippendale era animation is maybe a little more obsessed with like changes and what you can become and how the field is shifting they're both just worlds in which tunes reflect things going on in animation in the world of animation both on a story level and on the meta level of these films exist to examine and and deconstruct these eras i think i think chippendale is also kind of made for a much more self-aware time right where Mm -hmm. where people where people are i mean that you you know use the word meta i mean that the the instinct to not just you know for one you just recognize things you say you know know, so you have that leonardo dicaprio pointing from the chair thing uh (laughs) meme happening uh but then uh but then it also gets into these sort of knowing critiques i mean we 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 now are able to kind of analyze movies differently maybe than we might might have in the past or you know we're, we're able to say oh okay i remember that era of i remember that that whole ugly sonic thing and and now that now you're kind and of if you don't you're this. able to, to look it up real quick on the internet you know you yeah can, yeah you can yeah. kind of like find yeah you can find it kind of like you know examine this little piece of pop culture that sort of floats by and that instinct just seems very modern to me and and not nothing that would have uh, you know, occurred to the f- f- makers of Roger Rabbit to even try. To bring it back to the connection uh, Tasha broached before I, I veered us off track uh, with aging tunes, I think a big difference in the way that Sweet Pete and Judge Doom operate within their respective films is like basically how the reveal of their villainy plays out. Like, we 
know all there is to know about Sweet Pete in his first scene, you know, and, and what his his goal is, you know. And when we meet Judge Doom, like, we know he's a bad guy. Obviously, there's the shoe, you know, but... <laughs> there's again layers to that character that are uncovered as as the mystery un- unfolds and and the and the film progresses obviously none of us can watch Roger Rabbit today and be surprised with the reveal the judge doom is a tune but that's a very important reveal you know um and i i imagine it was surprising the first time i don't know again i, I can't really say but with sweet oh Pe- it was surprising the first time when he when he just peels himself up after being run over by the steamroller like yeah. it was it was horrifying to watch a a human person being crushed by a steamroller in a, a effectively a disney movie full of cute animated characters and then him getting up and walking around afterwards it's super super uncanny right very terrifying and we talked in the first half you know how he doom like gets his villain monologue but he's just telling us what he's doing not why he's doing it and by contrast sweet pete again like the very first scene he explains not only like what he's doing with the bootlegging tunes but the whole backstory behind it and the the whole aging out of of his role thing so it's just it feels less elegant you know it feels a little more blunt in terms of just how that character is presented to us over the course of the film well it's it's definitely less elegant because it's it's pretty much a hey strangers that i've never talked to you before here's my backstory here's here's a bunch of exposition that i have no reason to be giving you and that's always kind of a, a clunky element but it does kind of speak to the fact that both of these villains for their own reasons are like preying on their own kind both of them have vendettas against their own kind we don't really understand what judge dooms is exactly but both of them are like altering or destroying other tunes uh, mm-hmm. like for their own selfish petty gain uh, basically so they they do they have a fair bit in common mm-hmm. one of them is just more obvious about it and clunkier about it than the other i also i feel a little bit for sweet pete i mean you know what what, what are you going to do if you're if you're sweet pete <laughs> besides well, i guess you probably have options besides you know mutilation and, <laughs> and ip theft but you know you, you, be, you become also, a I, cigarette girl at the local tune review right. <laughs> I, I also again will point out that the 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 bootlegging apparatus that uses lasers to completely change tunes uh appearance why couldn't he have just like retuned himself back to a younger version of himself like i think hmm. the answer there is that he was bitter and just kind of wanted to f- to flip off the uh, entertainment industry as opposed to carving himself up for it or but, he wanted others to suffer the way he suffered yeah that's true why didn't he why didn't he cover this when he was uh dutifully explaining his motives but to you, us? You're, what you're saying he would put himself through the bootleg machine and then become a become back go back to where he was was well, before not, not necessarily even the bootleg machine but if this is a world in which dale can have cgi surgery is mm. is it not also a world in which uh, old peter pan can become young peter pan again or you know turn into a cartoon shark and play the drums i mean if, if tunes are, are that malleable in terms of their appearance this this is edging back into like taking the premise way more seriously than it deserves and uh i want to just peace out on that a little bit (laughs) well uh if, if i can just overthink one one more thing in relationship to this 
in terms of the differences between the way these two villains operate, you could also kind of look at it as linked back to sort of what these films are each drawing on as their like main point of reference. And uh, obviously, Roger Rabbit is drawing on noir. You know, it's a mystery. There needs to be this sort of gradual unfurling of information. And Chippendale Rescue Rangers is drawing on a 22-minute children's cartoon in which they chased down the bad guy every week. The bad guy was just the bad guy. We didn't need to know anything <laughs> beyond that. And they caught the bad guy, you know. So there is, it's operating from a more sort of simplistic storytelling place. And I think, you know, you could draw a line from that to the bluntness with which Sweet Pete is presented in this film. There's that, but I mean, I don't think that this, I, I, and this would be something for you to tell me because I never watched uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the cartoon, but I get the impression that it's using it as uh, like a backstory and a story element, mm-hmm. but it's not mimicking it the way sure. Roger Rabbit right. mimics noir. If anything, it's playing on like the modern meta movie, which is, you know, the nostalgia and references and hey, I recognize that. And but also just that uh, sort of like familiar, like it's it's a bromance. It's a, a bromance story about, uh, you know, two boys who didn't know how to talk to each other and like had a sad breakup as a result and then eventually learned to open up to each other. So it's playing on a bunch of like much more modern movie types but i i don't think it's emulating rescue rangers so much as it's like emulating a lot of uh, specific story types that we see today well i said i was overthinking it what do you want So speaking of overthinking it, uh, I'd like to point out that these are both two movies about the unglamorous side of the entertainment uh, industry. They're both movies about kind of the fickleness of fame and the, the difficulty of pleasing the people that you work for, how quickly somebody who's a star can become a, hey, it's that guy from what was it again? Both of these movies are, are pretty cynical about what it takes to to get along in Hollywood and how quickly you can be like, you know, yesterday's uh, fish wrappings mm-hmm. if you can't keep up on like what appeals to the audience. Well, and, I mean, if you think about it, you know, these animated characters, they're 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 all entertainers, but they're not actors in the sense that like an actor can can play one role. And then go through a career to play other roles, and and in in other, you know, that that, that can't happen with Chippendale. Can only be Chippendale, <laughs> you know. And there, and, and when that show's over, unless um that show gets revived somehow, or a character gets you know uh, fed through somebody else's uh, cartoon, you know, their career is over. And so, and so there's kind of, you know, both of these films kind of follow that thinking to its natural conclusion, which is that all of these characters have. Uh, continue to live you know they don't they don't die after their show dies uh or after the, after they're off the air so what are they you know what what do they what, what do they become and and um that's where you get kind of the unglamorous part that's where where it's like they have to kind of reinvent themselves sometimes in really sad ways i mean you can you, you know dale is kind of trying to relive his old glory he, he's appearing in conventions he's doing that so, so you know he's getting the cg surgery he's trying to remain relevant but chip is you know working in insurance and and uh you know the peter pan is now sweet pete and he's a bootlegger and it's uh kind of a sad fate oh, i guess it looks like it seems like monterey jack is kind of just 
hanging out and being himself, isn't he? He invested but, uh, well. I, it's my understanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until he started blowing it all on sticky Jeez. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I think that's the I think that's the idea of just uh, you know, I think it's almost naturally lends itself to this kind of unglamorous side because, you know, once their one show or their one movie is over they're immediately husbands. You can't be recast. You can't have a, you can't, the, the career has, there's no arc to a career like a normal actor would have. I think it's interesting, like thinking along those lines, the degree to which like we know why exactly why Roger does what he does. He he firmly believes that it, it is a tune's job to make people laugh, that that's why he's in the world. That's what's important about him. And given the way he like sings and dances for the the barflies in the bar there is sort of a feeling that he would go find a way to to make people laugh even if it was just like doing random weird comedy stuff in the streets or hitting himself over the head with a frying pan to make little birdies but chip and dale like their career seems to have been about not really about the fame or about what they could bring to the world it was a job and they're both kind of disappointed that the job went away, but they never talk about like missing the fame or wanting to be famous or wanting to be rich or wanting like the power to start charities and bring good into the world. There's much less of a sense of what drives them. We know what drives them on a personal level, like they miss their friendship, they like their friends, they want to support people that they care about, but we don't really get a sense of like what drives them to stay in the, well, what drives Dale to keep trying in the entertainment industry, whereas like Chip's given up and moved on. That's an interesting thought now. Like, so is it possible it's just that the economy doesn't really, isn't really a thing in Roger Rabbit? I mean, you know, because you have Roger who, who will wants to entertain no matter what situation he's in, because that's his nature that he wants to entertain, uh, you know, Chip and Dale, they, they live in the, they, li- they live in the world in the sense that they do have in, in that, in that they have to make a living, you know, they have to be doing something to earn money. Uh, that's not really the case though. In Roger well, Rabbit. You no, yeah, sense that- we'll go back to Betty Boop. She's, she's, she's working a job. She doesn't want to work necessarily. Yeah, I, you guess know? So, I guess yeah. it's true. We, all, I mean, like, we touched but, but, on all of that earlier. The conclusion was that she wants to be close to the stage and, sure. and fame. She wants to get back on it. Yeah. And she's, I mean, but even like Toontown, I mean, there, there doesn't seem to be, it doesn't, yeah, it just, it seems like there, there, there are ideas about what their role is in society is a little bit different in each, in each film. And I think it has to do with something like a, like a human economy existing in Chippendale where it kind of doesn't and and for for tunes and Roger Rabbit. Yeah, and again, I think that that reflects animation getting more realistic, more concerned with uh like realistic ideas of of living in the world. Like you don't spend a lot of time thinking does Bugs Bunny have enough money to actually buy those carrots? Like you you don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about like what Droopy's bathroom looks like. They're very cartoony, they're very abstract, and they don't necessarily seem to exist outside the stories that they're in. But like an awful lot of modern animation, 
is about people who I like one of my favorite animated series of the moment is uh, Young Justice, just uh, coming out again on HBO Max. And like that is a story that concerns itself with how people live, uh, how they raise their children, how they deal with like relationship issues and personal issues, what happens when they age. Like it's just a very it's an emotional series that's got you know, superheroes trying to fight off the lords of chaos to prevent the implosion of the universe. But then on the other hand, one of them has an autistic child and is arguing with her husband about like the best way to get help for that child. So like, I think cartoons have become by and large a lot more concerned with real life and living in it. And I I think the way Chippendale is inflected is just meant to reflect that. Worrying about the economy of getting bootlegged is and essentially human trafficked, except for tunes like, again, kind of dark and uh, kind of more reflective of the real world than uh, most of what happens in Roger Rabbit. Although I guess the the concern about being gentrified out of the one community that will have you mm-hmm. is a, a pretty real, pretty grim concern. I'd watch Spaghetti Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> the animation in spaghetti dogs is pretty bad yeah probably so i mean i think another place you can kind of see that happening and, and just you know kind of see how animation trends have have evolved between not just these two when these two movies came out but the era of roger rabbit the 1940s and the modern day in, in chippendale is uh, the the voice work that that we see here, and, and like this is no slight against like the the voice work in Chippendale. We've already talked about how Mulaney and Sandberg have a, a really good chemistry here. Uh, you know, J.K. Simmons is always uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> good do, doing his thing. You know, um, but you know, to a one, all the like named characters here are voiced by known celebrities. You know. And in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know, like this was Mel Blanc's last performance of a lot of his, his characters. You know, there's a, you know, the, I mean, obviously there are known actors in, in Roger Rabbit, but there is sort of a commitment to the idea that voice actors voice cartoons. And that has in large part fallen away. Although I will say one thing that really delighted me in Chippendale was the presence of Tress McNeil reprising her role as as Gadget, the lone female member of, of uh, the Rescue Rangers and one of the only female characters in this movie uh, outside of Kiki Lane. But Tress McNeil has done voices on pretty much every major animated show of the last 20 years. Uh, you know, Animaniacs, The Simpsons, Futurama, Rugrats, like... Uh, definitely one of like the the last remaining like voice actors known by name these days so i i was glad to see uh rescue rangers at least nod to that with her here but it it did also highlight the fact that you know these are a bunch of celebrities and uh, I, I- also, I, I assumed that was Amy Sedaris. We have kind of, kind of talk, talking uh, about what we're talking about. It's like you know, like I assumed yeah. they would bring in a a name. I, I always think of the John DiMaggio interview that we right. had at the AB Club, where it's like, like in plenty about how it's the you know, blah, blah blah blah. I'm I'm Will Smith. I'm a crab or whatever. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. celebrities just kind of show up and do their own thing. And 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 you know, it doesn't. I don't think it's commentary on the on the on uh, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers parts, but you definitely has that element to it. 
nothing against Eric Bana, but do you need an Eric Bana to do the voice of honoring job? <laughs> I know. Well, and and it has this effect of like making you play guess the voice as as you watch, you mm-hmm. know, or at least I have that. I, you know, I think if you're at all tuned into pop culture, you probably have that instinct of wait, I know this voice. Whose voice is this? That's what happens with that damn Flula, Flula Borg guy. I'm like, this is this is that guy, you know? And and sure enough, he he was in here uh, as the the uh, rapping I, snake or the <laughs> the DJ snake. <laughs> I will say I had I had trouble convincing the the, the my girls to, to see this until I said, uh, you know, Eric Bana does a voice in this. It's like, oh, okay. oh, it wasn't it wasn't Flula Borg that sold them. <laughs> Eric Bana. Uh. Okay, so, but here's the thing about that. Like, I, again, didn't watch Rescue Rangers, the the animated series, but I'm assuming that Chip and Dale sounded like chipmunks, like the, mm-hmm. their... They had yes. their chipmunk voices. Yeah. yeah, so it's presented to us fairly early on that that was like an affect that they did as actors. Mm-hmm. And as near as I could tell from the context of just this movie, it seemed like their their bug friend who's a fly Zipper. or something like that. <laughs> Zipper never spoke. Is that correct? Correct. He made little noises. So then in this movie, he's got this like big, deep, resonant voice and he speaks in a very poetic fashion and it's it's meant to be very much a running gag. And then Monterey Jack has the voice of Eric Bana. Tress McNeil sounds way more cartoony than the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And my instinct there was like, is she just accurately doing the voice of of Gadget while all of the rest of them are playing with the joke that like, no, the voice I did in that cartoon was like an acting voice because she just she kind of doesn't fit in with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And she also doesn't kind of fit in with the the way like she comes across as very cartoony in the way the tune characters in Roger Rabbit do like like Charles Fleischer is doing this very big squeaky cartoony voice like Mm -hmm. Jessica Rabbit has a a very distinctive cartoony voice none of them just have the like hey Andy Samberg is a crab and he's just hanging out with Will Smith who's also a crab just kind of doing his own voice kind of kind of aspect Trust McNeil sounds stylized compared to Mm -hmm. everybody else and I assume it's because she's actually doing her cartoon thing, whereas everybody else is doing their just a guy thing. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a very astute observation. And I actually did kind of have the thought watching of Roger Rabbit of like, these cartoons sound like cartoons. They have cartoon voices. And then <laughs> and the cartoons in Chip and Dale sound like humans, you know, and this kind of like we were saying gets back to the whole like Chip and Dale being in a more real world you know as for how how gadget fits into that like eh, fine i yeah you're 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 probably right although i you know i i guess if you wanted to game out the scenario like she could have been the only one of the cast who spoke in her normal voice just because sometimes sometimes that happens you know that's somehow that's how things shake out but like that character is so minor in this film she only has a a couple of scenes like it feels more like she's there as sort of a tip of the hat to tress mcneil as the original character because they they recast all the others you know they could have recast her but it seems more like an homage than anything else 
I will say if Chip and Dale had gone through this entire movie with the high squeaky <laughs> previous cartoon Chip and Dale voices, I wouldn't have made it 10 minutes in this movie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I, I watched a little bit of the, of the series just to kind of for when I was writing a review, just to kind of get a sense of it. It was like, nope. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, never going to get you guys to watch my beloved chipmunk adventure, <laughs> which inured me to to chipmunk speak. I think <laughs> is that is that the one where the chipettes join Alvin? Uh, yes, so the race around the world for a, a, to find diamonds. Yes, diamond smuggling operation. It's great. We're going to do it one day. It sounds really good. <laughs> It's really oh, good. I'll do it. <laughs> Never going to do it. I'm not going to do it unless there's a way to to just like slow all the action down until yeah. they start uh, sound until they start sounding like David Seville when he actually records the chipmunk voices. God. Now, now I'm kicking myself for not insisting we pair Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers with the Chipmunk <laughs> Adventure. <laughs> you had your it, chance it, and you missed it. It, it would have worked. Hmm. Is there a way? If all right, we can we could uh, you know. If, our, if enough of our, of our listeners demand it, we could do a bonus episode on the Patreon on Chip yes. on the on the, yes. uh, the Chipmunk Adventure. Right in, All right. demand yes. a Chipmunk Adventure <laughs> bonus episode for me. Thank you. All right, as wow. the host of this episode, I am stepping in to shut down this mutiny as hard as I possibly can. Uh, if you if you disagree with me and you would really love to hear a uh, a chipmunk adventure bonus episode, by all means, speak up. Uh, you can contact us at comments at nextpictureshow.net uh, to tell Genevieve that you also have a burning nostalgia for this movie and that you, you desperately want to force us all to watch it. Um, but failing that, I think we're going to uh, to call it a night. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is streaming on Disney Plus and Tubi. It's available on Blu-ray and DVD, and it's rentable on practically every digital service you can name. Chippendale Rescue Rangers is a Disney Plus exclusive, and you'll find it streaming on that service. That's it for this edition of The Next Picture Show, but we'll be back next week with a new pairing. Keith, would you like to set us up for our episodes releasing on June 14th and 21st? For our next episodes, we'll be turning back the clock, like a lot, to the Jurassic era, sort of. First, we'll be discussing Steven Spielberg's 1993 classic Jurassic Park, in which scientist and theme park tycoon foolishly combine forces to resurrect dinosaurs. Unfortunately, no one learned their lesson, leading to sequel after sequel, including the new Jurassic World Dominion, the sixth film in the series, and one in which dinosaurs have spread far beyond the confines of the original park. We hope you'll join us. You know, we spent so much time thinking about whether we could do that pairing that we didn't at all think about. <laughs> no, never, never mind. For now, we welcome your feedback on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Chippendale Rescue Rangers, plus anything else film related you'd like to talk about. As a reminder, you can email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and you can come talk to us on the Patreon where you'll find feedback letters, discussions and recommendations in addition to the paid bonus content. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Key Phipps. Uh, I'm a freelance writer. You can find me on uh, Twitter at kphips3000, and I, I link to pieces I write for places like GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide. I also have a Substack with my friend Scott Tobias. You might know him from the podcast, The Next Picture Show. It's called The Reveal. It's thereveal.substack.com, where we write reviews and essays and observations about film and, and occasionally television. I wrote a book. It's called Age of Cage. It's about the films of Nicolas Cage and changes in Hollywood. You might think it, you know, it's been out for a 
couple months now, you might think, you know, came out, you can't buy it anymore. That's not true. It's still in storage. You, you can, can still, buy books that have come out yes. a month before. It was not pulled from shelves, uh, you know, after, after being out on there for a couple weeks. You can still buy them through wherever you buy uh, books. Uh, Genevieve, how about you? Uh, I am the TV editor at Vulture.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky, and you can find my secret chipmunk adventure fan site at <laughs> boysandgirlsofrockandroll.tumblr.com. Scott. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I don't. Uh, okay, so I'm. Wait, I on... should check to make sure that's not actually a site. <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. I, uh, I. I. You can find me on Twitter at, at, at Scott underscore. Tobias, you can find my work in uh, the New York Times, in Vulture, uh, Guardian, the, the Ringer, and other fine publications. And of course, um, uh, a, a great deal of the work I do is for The Reveal uh, uh, with Keith, uh, thereveal.substack.com. Sign up for free. You just, just check it out, right? And, then, and then, then you pay. And then but. you can subscribe. <laughs> and then you can join, and join, and join a really nice community of, but, of of people who have substantive things to say and respectful ways to say it and it's a it's a it's a little it's a little paradise on the uh, in, in this very wild and hostile uh world of the internet that we've we've built there so if you so uh please come check that out Tasha. The, not so, the not so dirty secret is we give away a lot of stuff for free but then you want to subscribe <laughs> yeah but you right. want to support you want to support us in doing i can that. see how That's this works idea. you get us hooked on the substantive thoughtful and also sometimes uh playful and fun film related content and then you jack up the price <laughs> i see how this goes it's the same way with uh, age of cage which i'm reading i i found out what i really honestly most wanted to know which is what uh why nick cage picked the name cage the answer surprised me yeah. i did not know that story it's all in the book but i I just assume that once I get like deeper into this book, uh, it's Keith's going to jack up the price on me. I'm going to have to subscribe <laughs> to, to read the rest of the book. I am Tasha Robinson. You can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Surprisingly enough, I am the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com. You can find me increasingly writing and talking to filmmakers over there. Things have gotten a little looser and uh, I'm actually back to reviewing movies again, which is fun. You can stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. You can get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Big Jakes for his assistance in producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. Shoes. I begin up the slack, there's no cap.